Well, good morning, everyone. It is Good Friday. It is a strange title for a day on which the worst thing in the history of the world happened. Today, we remember the day in which literally, not the happy Christmas where God became man, but the truth that God became man and we killed him. And I mean we. Sometimes there are questions of this day of, well, who killed Jesus? And is there too much blame placed on the Jews or the Romans? I always found this strange in that I, I realized from the time I was little, I was always taught, we, we killed Jesus, our sins nailed Jesus to the cross. And of course, any, any Christian who really knows their faith knows that's true. Sometimes uh, because of the, the language in the, the Gospels, it, it does talk about the Jews. But keep in mind when we talk about the Jews, well, well that's us. Okay, Christians today, we, we are the, the spiritual descendants of our elder brothers and sisters, the Jews. So there, there's no doubt that if you want to know who killed Jesus, well, sin. And there is no sin without personal sin. So we, you, you, me, the reason that Jesus died, the reason that he died was for us. You, me, our sins, that's why Jesus died. And because of that, of course, he, he saved us. So we wouldn't be able to call this day good if it weren't for the fact that we, we know the whole story. We, we know how this ends. We know exactly what happens. We know what happened 2,000 years ago. And that's why, even though today we do a lot of things liturgically, ritualistically, to remember, as we said yesterday, it's a certain kind of remembering we call anamnesis, makes a past event present, that kind of remembering. We remember today, but we do so in a way in which we, we know the whole story. So today is the day we remember Jesus' death and that Jesus is taken away. But of course, he is not gone. He is very much with us right now as we are reflecting on the liturgy of today. Uh, Jesus is with us. So we know that there is Easter. We don't have to pretend today that Jesus is gone and we don't know what's going to happen. They've taken my Lord and we don't know where we put him. No, we, we know exactly what happens. And that's why, even though we commemorate the worst thing that's ever happened, well, today we can, we can actually call this day good. Uh, not good because of what we did, but good because of what Jesus did and what ultimately happened on this day. So with, with that having been said, uh, it's also a day in which uh, it is the strangest, perhaps, liturgy uh, of the year in that it's a day in which there is no Mass. And for Catholics, that that is just weird. Uh, no Mass. What do we do? I mean, so many times people get up, well, I, I get up, I, I brush my teeth, I comb my hair, I make my bed, and I go to Mass. Uh, that That's a good Thing, I in in some degree that it's it's nice people that have the habit of going to daily mass uh, good for you uh, it is good that we would want to be as close to Jesus as possible and obtain the grace of the Eucharist every day but there is also I suppose a, a danger that it can be kind of well it can kind of become routine can't it and whenever anything becomes routine it's easy for it to become well not special anymore just go to mass each day because that's what I do. And I, most people who go to daily mass are pretty good about keeping it special. But it is good on this Good Friday that uh, there's no mass. No mass today, no mass tomorrow, no mass until Easter. So what do we do? Well, uh, the church has, on this day, come up with various liturgical, traditional things that we can do. Um, one of the things that carries over from, from yesterday is that uh, bells don't ring. So it's... Uh, you might say, Father Sean got started just a little bit late. Well, I always wait for the bells, you know, at nine o'clock, the, the bells are going to ring. And eh, no bells today. Um, because if you remember last night uh, at the evening mass of the Lord's Supper, the, the bells the bells rang uh, at the Gloria. We rang the tower bells and the carillon. We, we rang the little server bells for the Sanctus, uh, the Sanctus bells. We... We rang all the bells during the Gloria, and and then 
The instructions indicate that the bells do not ring again until the Gloria at the Easter Vigil tomorrow night. Now, I hinted at this yesterday a little bit. Uh, when I was in my travels and I was, I've been to New Orleans several times, if you take a, a typical tour of the French Quarter in New Orleans, they will talk about the great Good Friday fire that burnt almost all of New Orleans to the ground. And, it, you know, well, okay, it happened on Good Friday, so that's why it's called the Good Friday fire. True, but here's the backstory. The church bells were, were also the, the fire bells. That's the fire alarm. If there's a, a fire, you, you ring the, the church bells to let the fire department and everybody know it's time to, you know, fix everything. Well, Good Friday, so people saw the fire, but the bells were not allowed to be rung. So uh, couldn't ring the bells, and all of New Orleans burns to the ground. You can look up the great Good Friday fire of New Orleans if you want more on that. But that's, uh, that's how seriously these things were taken. So the, the bells aren't rung, and continuing from last night, uh, when we do celebrate the liturgy today, if possible, the, the instruments, the organ, and it's all, nothing plays, it's all a cappella. Uh, today it's allowed that, if necessary, to support the singing, instruments can be used, and um, that is, uh, that's the case here at St. Patrick's. Some other places I've, I've been, it's been able to be done beautifully, all a cappella. And for those of us as Catholics who are used to the organ and the beautiful music, so much of the the beautiful tradition of our liturgy is all the, the beautiful instruments and things. It's very stark on, on Good Friday uh, and, and beginning with the Gloria yesterday that there are no instruments and it's, it's done a cappella. Uh, if you can do that well, as I experienced when I was like in Washington at the National Shrine at the Immaculate Conception, places like that, uh, it's beautiful. Maybe your typical parish church needs a little help uh, from the, the organ and things today. So that, that is allowed if it's necessary to support the singing. So keep that in mind. Um, all right. Uh, other traditions of Good Friday, of course, uh, not a tradition, but actually the law is that on this day, it's a day of fast and abstinence. So again, fasting means, uh, at most, again, this is, this is, uh, this is the bare minimum that you can do here, but at most one main meal and two little collations or small meals, if necessary, uh, that together don't equal the main meal. I don't know. If you did just that, to me, that sounds like a normal day. Nonetheless, that's the minimum that's required for fasting, and it's only required from those 18 to 59 years old. There are a bunch of people who are 59 years or older right now, so technically you're not even obliged to fast. I don't know. Sounds like we're kind of wimpy in the church right now. So do uh, do what you can. As it says of Mary Magdalene, who anointed Jesus' feet, she has done what she could. Let the Let the same be said of you today. Do what you can. Uh, and fast and, and abstinence, of course, so no meat, uh, just as we've had with uh, all Fridays during Lent. So fast and abstinence, that's uh, by the law. And technically that goes until midnight tonight, but the, the church encourages us to continue that fast tomorrow on Holy Saturday all the way up until the, the beginning of Easter, which is the, the Easter vigil tomorrow night. So I offer that for your, your reflection, your edification, your contemplation. If you want, do what you can. Okay, uh, with that having been said, let's talk a little bit about the official liturgy of this day. And uh, it's, uh, as I said, it is, well, there, there are no degrees of unique. Uh, so uh, there's there's just unique. If it's unique, it's, it's because it's uh, it only happens once. And that is uh, certainly of today. Let's see if I can... Get you a little bit better light. There we go. Uh, so today, things happen that only happen once a year, and that that uh, what makes them unique. Uh, as I said, there's no mass. So what do we do? What do we do if there's no mass? That's hard for Catholics. Well, we we celebrate what is known as the commemoration of the Passion of the Lord. The celebration of the Passion of the Lord uh, used to be called the the Mass of the Pre-Sanctified. Uh, now, that's a little, somewhat of a misnomer, which is why we kind of don't use the title anymore, because it's not Mass. Uh, mass, strictly speaking, the, the way we normally use it is is when we consecrate the Eucharist. Priest takes bread and wine, says, this is my body, this is my blood, to become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. Well, we don't do that today. Uh, and in previous times, before the reforms of Holy Week, which I've kind of talked about, took place in the 1950s, 
Before that, only the priest received communion. And the pre-sanctified part is because he would receive a host that was consecrated at last night's Mass of Holy Thursday, and the priest would receive that consecrated host from yesterday's Mass during the liturgy of Good Friday, the Mass of the Pre-Sanctified, as it was called. Uh, in the modern rite, everyone gets to receive communion today, and of course there is no Mass, so there's no consecration of the Eucharist, so everyone will receive the Eucharist that was consecrated last night at the evening Mass of the Lord's Supper, was processed throughout the church to that altar of repose, uh, and then will be brought out uh, today. So again, when you come to the liturgy today, and don't call it Mass because it's not Mass, but when you come to the liturgy, to the celebration of the Passion of the Lord, uh, the tabernacle will be empty, as it was last night. So again, don't genuflect, because the tabernacle is empty. Bow to the altar. That is the appropriate act of reverence tonight as you enter the church, because the, the altar represents Christ. But you'll notice when you, you enter the church that the altar is stripped. If you attended last night's evening Mass of the Lord's Supper, you would have seen that after Mass ended uh, and the uh, Eucharist was left at the altar of repose, then the altar is stripped, meaning all of the, the cloths and things that decorate it are taken off, all the candlesticks, everything's taken away. Uh, it, it's, you know, we... Think about how we, we increased our fasting two weeks ago to, to veil the statues and crosses when Passion Tide began. Well, now we even up our game more. We're we're in it. We're in part of the sacred three days, the Triduum. And so because we are commemorating the most solemn, sad day of the year, we, we take away all the cloths from the altar. We take away all the candles, even the flowers, and everything's gone. It, it looked maybe a little more beautiful last night in, in your church. Uh, well, today, all taken away. It's uh, a day of great fasting. So we even fast from, you know, typical things we would see in our church, like cloths on the altar. The, the altar, uh, it looks it looks empty. Uh, and it's, it's to add to the kind of sadness and, and somberness uh, of the day. So that's something you'll notice when you come to church. There might be, uh, you might notice a little bit more red, uh, but you know, if the statues are veiled in purple from from two weeks ago, you'll you'll see that um, probably you know not uh, not too much uh, additional there. But you might notice a, a few features of red today because in the the modern right, uh, red is the the color of the the vestments that will be worn today in the liturgy. So you you might see that. Okay. Um, this is uh, <clears throat> this is uh, a liturgy that, um, as I said yesterday, is the Triduum liturgies are designed to be done once, and the appropriate time for this liturgy is three p.m. If possible, uh, it would be done at three p.m. because that is historically the the hour that Jesus died on the cross, and so we we try to commemorate that at at the hour, just like we did Mass last night in the evening. At the time when Jesus would have celebrated the Last Supper, uh, so today, if possible, we we celebrate the Passion of the Lord at 3 p.m. This is one that is technically allowed to be repeated, uh, if necessary, for the faithful to attend, even at a later hour. So, like here at St. Patrick's, this is I think pretty typical. A lot of parishes uh, we are doing our our big service in in English at 3 p.m. and then it will be repeated tonight at at seven actually for the Spanish. Uh, largely Spanish. There'll be some English and some Chin, maybe. I don't know. We have three language groups here at uh, St. Patrick's in Kansas City. So, uh, is allowed to be repeated, uh, but ideally, if, if you could, you'd get everybody in the church at 3 p.m. Used to be that these were holy days of obligation because, well, all of society observed Good Friday. You know, I talk about all of New Orleans burning down on Good Friday. It was that serious. Uh, used to be, of course, that this is a day that people had off from work. Uh, nobody uh, worked on Good Friday. Everything shut down because, well, we're Christian, and so we ob observe. How are you going to, you know, treat Good Friday like it's just another day? Um, sadly, those days are gone, and so uh, that's partly why it's not a holy day of obligation today because people got to work. Uh, but if possible, it would be good to gather in the church at three p.m. There's also a tradition from noon to three, uh, the the time that Jesus would have hung on the cross, uh, the tre ore, the three hours to um, keep those hours holy. 
in, in the past, maybe there would be special preaching even during that time. Uh, whatever it is, I invite you, maybe try to keep holy part of those three hours. Uh, come to the church, make uh, the Stations of the Cross. Perhaps your, perhaps your church will have some kind of public uh, celebration of the Stations of the Cross, something like that. Um, oftentimes now that that's not done to kind of preserve the, the uh, official liturgy, as it were, the celebration of the Passion of the Lord. But there's lots of devotions that can be done today. And the whole point of devotion is the devotional practices lead us to a more deeper practice of the official public prayer, which we call the liturgy. Uh, so, you know, what are your traditions today? What do you do? Uh, I know I'll try to go over and pray for those those three hours, at least spend uh, some of it. Um, for those who are asking, last night uh, I, I did make my traditional visit to uh, seven churches. I did, I did seven churches in addition to St. Patrick's where I'm at. So um, I visited, uh, let's see, I went to the, the church of my first communion and prayed there. I went to the church of my, uh, my confirmation and uh, the church of my baptism. And then I went to the church of my ordination of the priesthood, the cathedral visited a, a monastery with my friends, the little sisters and little brothers of the Lamb. I, I popped into a parish in Kansas City where they were they were all praying still at 1030 at, at night. There was a group of the Spanish community there and ended up at a beautiful altar of repose at uh, Holy Angels and, and Baser here. And so I, I actually hit uh, eight churches yesterday. I think that's the most I've ever done, uh, partly because well, some of them were closed. <laughs> so uh, I was able to pray at about half of those inside and about half of those were closed. So Again, that's commemorating Jesus is going to the, the garden with the altar of repose. Tonight, this afternoon, um, we, we pick up uh, somewhat where we left off. Again, the liturgy continues. So when you come today for the official liturgy, uh, there will be no greeting. There is no, you know, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the Lord be with you. As I said yesterday, the, the Trotum liturgy is really kind of all one liturgy. So it started last night. And it continues today, and so when when you come to the celebration of the Passion of the Lord today, uh, it's just silence, and when the ministers enter, well, they come in and they just fall on their face. Those are the instructions for the, the liturgy today. Uh, it says, the priest and the deacon, if a deacon is present, wearing red vestments as for Mass, knows that it's it's not, um, they go to the altar in silence after making reverence to the altar, so a, a bow to the altar, just like I told you. And it says they prostrate themselves. Prostrate, little mean lay flat on the floor, nose to the pavement. Because after all, what what can we do? I, on this day, as I said, it, it's a day we acknowledge that we killed God. And Jesus came to save us from our sins, um, and we killed him. What do you do? I mean, so we, we fall on our, our face with our nose on the floor and uh, just pray. There's there's no music, no words. It's one of those those gestures that kind of speaks for itself. Just silence, just silence. Uh, and then after the prostration, the, the priest, the ministers get up, go to the chair. <clears throat> there's no <clears throat> let us pray. As uh, I said, it, it's just it starts with a, a prayer. And it's not even called the collect this time as I normally the opening prayer, you know, it starts with let us pray and then the, the people all pray and then the priest collects together those prayers at a collect. Here, the priest just gets up and he prays. He says, remember your mercies, Lord. Yeah, if we just killed God, I, I'd, I'd be wanting God to remember his mercy. <laughs> Please, Lord, have mercy on us. Uh, and, and we should think that every time we sin, but especially today, we know what our sins did. And so... Lord, remember your mercies, O Lord, and with your eternal protection, sanctify your servants. Yeah, you know, God, be merciful, don't kill us, protect us, um, and sanctify your servants. So acknowledges servants, the, the word there uh, is the same word like slave, uh, servant of God. Last night at the evening mass, Jesus showed us what it is to be a servant washing feet. Um, sanctify your servants. Sanctify means to, to make holy. Okay, we know we're, we're not doing so good at that. That's what we acknowledge on Good Friday. Our sins make us not holy. Well, 
we're not going to save ourselves. That's a heresy. So we need Jesus to save us. And I mean, we didn't. What, what would be good about Good Friday? We, we need Jesus to save us. And so he's going to. So sanctify your servants for whom Christ your son, by the shedding of his blood, established the Paschal mystery. We acknowledge the death of Jesus. He shed his blood for us and he establishes the Paschal mystery. Pascha. It, it, it's a word that refers back to the Passover we heard about last night and has become the word that represents to us Easter. So when you hear Paschal, it really involves the entire suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So the Paschal mystery is the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord. And so that is established by what Jesus does today. The fact that we can then share in this Paschal mystery. And remember, I talked yesterday about mystery comes from a word that means to be silent, comes into the Latin as sacramentum. Uh, Mystery means we can't fully even describe it all. Jesus dies for us and then rises from the dead. How do you even describe that? So it's a mystery, Paschal mystery. Another optional prayer, so the priest could use this one too. O God, who by the passion of Christ your Son, our Lord, abolished the death inherited from ancient sin. So we're talking this sin of Adam and Eve that we all inherited. We deserve death because of that. We're born not in friendship with God. We're born deserving death. We call that original sin. So it says, he abolished the death inherited from ancient sin by every succeeding generation. That's original sin passed on. Grant that just as being conformed to him, hmm, now we we should think uh, Jesus taking on our humanity, our humanity being taken up in Jesus. St. Paul talks just as through one man sin entered the world, so through the one man Jesus Christ, all of us men, large uh, humanity, uh, just as we have born by the law of nature, the image of the man of earth, that's Adam, so by the sanctification of grace, we may bear the image of the man of heaven. That's Jesus, the new Adam. So that's very much Paul to the Romans that that prayer is is taking up. It's reminding us that, yes, we killed God, but also, well, Jesus is man, fully man. He became one of us. So when he dies and rises, we share in that too. So just as Jesus shares in everything with us, by his grace, we also share in everything with him. That's why we we hear that, don't you realize that you have been baptized into the death of Jesus? So we also share in that side of it. So this is kind of the other side of things, that we are taken up in the death of Jesus, that sin might be put to death, and then we also share in his rising. And of course, that's why we can call this Good Friday. Okay, so that's the the prayer at the beginning. Amen. And we are seated. And then the liturgy of the word, um, we we have the 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 first the first reading from Isaiah, where we hear about the suffering servant. The Old Testament prefigured in, in Israel, God's suffering servant, and then fully fulfilled in the Son of God, Jesus, who is the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy of Isaiah of the suffering servant. Then we read the letter to the Hebrews. Jesus Christ is the new and eternal high priest. Priests offer sacrifice. So whenever you hear the word priest in the scriptures, uh, especially the Old Testament, think sacrifice. Priest offers sacrifice. And so we hear about that today in the letter to the Hebrews. Then we get the passion. Uh, Something that people will remember from Palm Sunday. Uh, This year, it's uh, year B. So we read the Passion according to St. Mark on Palm Sunday. On Good Friday, the Passion is always from St. John. Uh, We get A, B, or C, Matthew, Mark, or Luke on Palm Sunday. uh, And then we get St. John on Good Friday. Uh, And that's true even in the extraordinary form. uh, Ordinary form, extraordinary form, St. John Passion uh, today. So... Uh, traditionally, this is uh, chanted solemnly by uh, three deacons because normally, the, you know, the gospel is is read by the deacon at mass if there's a deacon. Uh, on this day, uh, there is a traditional breaking of the the gospel, the passion reading into three parts. Uh, the the part of Christ is called the Christus in Latin, the 
Christ part. It is always taken uh, by the priest. If there are lay people doing it, you don't have deacons. Um, then there is the the narrator part in Latin called chronista. It's, so it's, sometimes it's abbreviated uh, uh, that way with a, a symbol for chronista. Uh, it, it's the time, literally timekeeper or narrator, as we call it in, in English. He chronicles the events. He's the chronicler, as it were, the one who says at this time and that time and that time. And then all the other voices are collectively known as the synagogue or the, the synagogue. So it's, 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 but it, you know, it includes Peter, the Jews, everybody, the crowd. Interestingly, in, in modern times, and, and I, this isn't in the, the Missal uh, even, so it kind of just developed um, in the 70s, uh, Missal companies and probably at the encouragement of priests started um, taking the synagogue apart and, uh, you know, giving parts of it to the, the assembly, to the people to join in. And famously, I, I remember growing up and, uh, you know, you, you, you know, it'd be in bold in your little missalette there, crucify him. And like the, all, the whole, all of a sudden the assembly becomes the crowd yelling, crucify him. That's, um, I suppose that's a, that's a powerful kind of thing, but it, it's not actually part of the liturgy and not really called for. Uh, this is not a passion play uh, when we read the, the passion. So it's not like acted out. Uh, it's a, it's a solemn reading of the Holy Gospel, okay? And th this happens every time we read the Gospel. You know, the Second Vatican Council reminds us when we talk about the various ways that Jesus is present in the liturgy. One is through the, the readings of the sacred scripture. So it, it's not a, a, an acting out of a, a passion play kind of thing. Rather, it's a, it's a solemn chanting, if possible today, of the Gospel, just like at every Mass, Jesus is present through the reading or chanting of those words. And properly, the reading of those words belong to the ordained ministers. Okay, lay people don't read the gospel. So uh, three deacons, if possible, chant the Passion. Or if you've got a priest and a deacon like we do here, uh, you know, here the, the deacon will take the chronista part and I'll take the Christus part. And then the, we'll have a lay person read the, the synagogue part. So that is one time where a lay person can assist in the, the reading of, of the gospel. But it remains a reading of the gospel. It's not a dramatization. It's not a, a passion play. Um, the, the chant for the, the passion today is very beautiful. I, I invite you, you can Google around and find on, on YouTube if, if you'd like uh, from, from St. Peter's. Just like Google St. Peter's Good Friday Passion and you can you can see how this is done with three deacons and the the way they're singing it is a, a very old uh, chant where each person has their own kind of pitch. The Christ part is very low and the, the Christ part is always singing up here. Um, check that out. Uh, Google Good Friday Passion St. Peter's and you can kind of see how that's done. Okay. Uh, after the the scripture readings. We, we end the, uh, the first part, uh, as it's, it's called, the first part is the, uh, the liturgy of the word. It ends with the, the solemn intercessions. Now, you might be familiar, of course, with the, the intercessions that are uh, a part of Sunday Mass. They're, they're optional during weekday Masses. Uh, I don't do them uh, here normally during the weekday Mass, but Sunday Mass, you're, you're used to those, those intercessions or the universal prayer. Uh, as they're called. Um, normally those are written, you know, like by the priest uh, during the week to say, well, what, do, what does the community need to pray for uh, this week? And, and so he would, you know, put together some, some intercessions like, well, let's, let's pray for good weather or, you know, it's tornado season. So let's pray for protection from the weather. Or we pray for, you know, coronavirus and, or things like that. Um, the intercessions on good Friday are, are fixed. Every word, what what we're going to pray for, uh, it's it's fixed. It we're we're told exactly this is what we're going to pray for, uh, and there are ten, ten intercessions, and they're they're kind of a, a little bit in uh, an order, if you will, um, because we're going to pray for the needs of the church and the world, but we we do it in a very specific order. And in a very specific 
way. The, the way that the intercessions are done on Good Friday is actually probably one of the earliest ways in which the, the universal prayer, the intercessions were done. And there are three parts to each intercession. The first uh, is the announcing of uh, the intercession. And this is typically done uh, by the, the deacon. Uh, if the deacon is present or if he's not, uh, a lay minister stands at the ambo and sings and says the invitation in which the intention is expressed. So this is the part where we might be familiar with from normal, you know, Sunday mass. We say what we're going to pray for. Uh, so the deacon announces, uh, let's pray for this. Okay, and for instance, the, the first intention is for Holy Church. Let us pray, dearly beloved, for the Holy Church of God, that our God and Lord be pleased to give her peace, to guard her, and to unite her throughout the whole world, and grant that leading our life in tranquility and quiet, we may glorify God the Father Almighty. Right, that sounds like a pretty flowery intercession. It's a little longer than what we might expect, but that's just the first part. So the deacon announces, let's pray for this, for the Holy Church of God. Then he sings, and ideally all of this would be sung today. It's the, when you look at it in the missal, there's music. It's musical notation. Then he sings, let us kneel. And everyone kneels, and we pray for that intercession. Everything that, when the, when the deacon says, let us pray for the Holy Church of God, and he says, let us kneel, and we do, we pray. Like, okay, God, let's pray for the church. After a little bit of period of prayer, the deacon then sings, let us stand. And we all stand up, and then the priest kind of collects together all that prayer that's just been happening. So part one, deacon says, let's pray for this. Part two, we all kneel and we pray. It, it, it is allowed that we could just stay standing through all of it, but the, the full form is that we kneel, pray, part two. And then part three, the priest collects all that together in kind of a closing summary prayer. So for instance, in the one for the church that we just prayed, the priest chants, Almighty ever-living God, who in Christ revealed your glory to all the nations, watch over the works of your mercy, that your church spread throughout all the world may persevere with steadfast faith in confessing your name through Christ our Lord. And we all sing, amen. That's one intercession. Okay, so three parts. Let us pray for this. Let us kneel, let us stand. And then part three, priest collects it all together. All right, so the first one is for the church. And I might say here that, you know, this solemn form of intercession, it takes a while. And it's, you know, up and down and kneeling and standing. Uh, why? Well, since there's, I mean, there's no mass, so there's not the, the consecration of the Eucharist today. What, what do you do? Well, well, we read the Passion, and then you pray. I mean, essentially, that's what you do today. You pray. Uh, and so in light of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we pray for the most important things, okay? And the church has, has given us these 10 uh, that are the most important things that we will pray for on this day, such that everyone prays for these same 10 things throughout the world. Imagine how powerful that prayer is. Jesus, in light of what you did for us on the cross, here are the things we really want to pray for. Here's what we really want to ask for today. Uh, those are pretty important things to pray for. So, you know, we're not going to pray for small things. We pray for big things, like going to pray for the church. So the first one is for the church. Second, for the Pope. All right, so we, we got the whole church we pray for. Then we're going to pray for the head of the church, uh, for our Pope, who, who chose him for the order of, of bishop, Keep him safe, unharmed in the Lord's Holy Church to govern the people of God. Okay, let us kneel. We pray for the Pope. Let us stand. Uh, and we, we pray that he's protected. Okay, then after we've prayed for the head of the church, what about the rest of us in the church? All right, for all orders and degrees of the faithful. And it's a little bit hierarchical because we start with let us pray for our bishop, for all bishops, priests, and deacons of the church. Okay, so we, you know, we had the whole intercession just for the Pope. Intercession number three is for bishops, priests, deacons, and for the whole of the faithful people. So this is this is everybody. And notice it, the church is hierarchically ordered. So we start intercession number one, we pray for the whole church. Intercession number two, we pray for the Pope and his unique role as head of the church. 
But even in intercession number three, where we pray for all orders and degrees of the faithful, it's hierarchical. So we do pray for our bishop, then for, for all the bishops, for priests and deacons, and then for everybody, all the faithful people. So this is all of the baptized who are a part of Christ faithful. Okay, and that, by the way, would, would include, as part of Christ faithful here, all the baptized. So that's our our, our Christian brothers and sisters uh, as well, although we will have a, a special prayer for, for unity of Christians. In, in this intercession, the, the faithful were particularly kind of focused on hierarchically those who were in full communion with the church. So our bishop, all bishops, priests, deacons, all the Christian faithful kind of focusing here on those who are in full communion with the church because we'll, we'll get to others. All right, fourth intercession for catechumens. All right, so these are, are people who are not yet Catholic, but they're almost Catholic. They're the next ones up. Uh, so the catechumens are ones that are about to be baptized. So we pray for the catechumens. And now we kind of get to various degrees of those who are not in the church visibly. Okay, the catechumens, even though they're not baptized yet, still have rights even actually in the church because they're in the order of catechumens. They're, they're almost Christians. Now that we've prayed for the, the church hierarchically, the Catholic church, visible as we would understand it, intercession number five is for the unity of Christians. Let us pray also for our brothers and sisters who believe in Christ. So we have a big, big thing in common with all the baptized, even those who are not visibly Catholic. We, we all believe in Christ, that our God and Lord may be pleased as they live the truth to gather them together and keep them in his one church. Big C, one church. Well, that's certainly a good thing to pray for today, that hopefully all Christians today are observing Good Friday and in a special way. All right, sixth intercession for the Jewish people. All right, so now we're, we're beyond the church. We're beyond even just Christians. But the first group, notice this, the first group, we don't just pray for non-Christians in general. We, we pray for the Jewish people. And notice it says, for the Jewish people to whom the Lord our God spoke first, that they that he may grant them to advance in love of his name and in faithfulness to his covenant. So notice no, no negative uh, degrading kind of like, oh, we pray for those terrible Jewish people who killed Jesus. But we've never prayed for that uh, exactly. There, there was some language that could be more readily misunderstood in, in the past. And so uh, Pope Benedict even kind of uh, updated it a little bit to, to make it more clear what we're praying for. Um, do we like pray, you know, <laughs> for the Jews who killed Jesus? No. But do we recognize that something is lacking the fullness of joy that all people could have to know Jesus? Yes. God spoke first to our Jewish brothers and sisters. And so we recognize that our, our Jewish friends, God spoke first to them. He made a covenant with them. And as we have often heard, God does not go back on his covenant. The God fulfilled the old covenant in the new, but the Jewish people are trying to live best they can. The, the covenant that God made with their forefathers, and we are all spiritually Jewish. Okay, I can't say that enough. If you're Christian, you're Jewish. Um, but some of Jewish friends have not come to recognize Jesus, the Messiah. So we pray that they will. Uh, we recognize that he's come. They'll recognize him in his second coming for sure. So the concluding prayer is, Almighty ever-loving God, who bestowed your promises on Abraham and his descendants. That's us still. Graciously hear the prayers for your church that the people you first made your own may attain the fullness of redemption. So has God abandoned the Jewish people? Certainly not. <laughs> Absolutely not. But as the prayer in the extraordinary form talks about, there's a veil. Uh, they see dimly, as St. Paul says. They don't get the full picture. They don't know that the Messiah has come. Imagine that Jesus came, suffered for our sins, for all of us, died, rose from the dead, and they don't know it yet. That, that's a sadness that we pray will be taken away and that they may obtain the fullness of redemption. Jesus died for everyone, including the Jewish people. Okay. And intercession number seven, for those who do not believe in Christ. So notice the Jews don't believe in Christ, but they get their own special intercession because, 
yeah, the Jews don't believe in Christ exactly, but they're way different from from people who have no connection to the covenant as as the Jewish people do. So intercession seven for those who don't believe in Christ. Okay, um, and then number eight for those who don't even believe in God. All right, so uh, we under those who don't believe in Christ, um, that we pray that they would be enlightened by the Holy Spirit. This would include, uh, for instance, the Muslims. Uh, they they do not believe in Christ, but they do believe in God. So, um, what do we ask for them? That those who do not confess Christ, that by walking before you with a sincere heart, they may find the truth, and that we ourselves, being constant in mutual love and striving to understand more fully the mystery of your life, may be made more perfect witnesses to your love in the world. Notice that the goal then, uh, if if those who are outside the church are going to be saved, it'll only be through Jesus and through his church, if through no fault of their own, they, they don't know the truth of this. So what do we pray for for those who don't believe in Christ? We pray they know the truth. The truth is that there is no salvation outside the church, and without Jesus, no one goes to heaven. There is no hope of everlasting joy except through Jesus. That is the truth. But some people don't know the truth. And if through no fault of their own, they don't know the truth, well, we'll pray for them today that they know the truth. But notice this last part, that we ourselves can be witnesses. Why don't some people know the truth about Jesus? Well, quite frankly, because Christians who do know the truth don't act like it. We don't set very good example. So we actually end up not only praying in this intercession for people who don't know the truth, we pray for our, ourselves that we would be better witnesses. Uh, so many times, the biggest obstacle to all people coming to know the truth about Jesus uh, is Christians. We we don't do very well as witnesses. So we, we ended up praying for ourselves to be better witnesses in there. Okay, so then for those who don't believe in God, these are people would at least say they don't believe in God. Uh, everyone probably believes in some kind of God. It might just be themselves. Uh, but let us acknowledge those who do not believe, those who do not acknowledge God. Let us pray for those who do not acknowledge God that following what is right with sincerity of heart, uh, we believe that God, through the, the natural law, puts a desire and a, a somewhat imperfect knowledge of what is right on the human heart. Uh, so even those who don't believe in God, God made them. He put in their heart a, a desire to, to do what is right and speaks through conscience. So by following what is right with sincerity of heart, they may find the way to God himself. That's a beautiful way to put it, that you can find God by trying to follow what is right. Now, um, notice the hierarchy we've been going. So we've got the church, the pope, then we've got bishops, priests, deacons, and all the faithful. Uh, we've, we've got um, catechumens. We've got those who believe in Jesus but aren't part of the Catholic Church. We've got those who don't believe in Jesus. Then we've, we've got those who don't even believe in God. You kind of see the, the de-escalating uh, hierarchy here. After the, after the atheists, after we pray for those who don't even believe in God, the ninth intercession is for politicians. Hey, it's true. I don't make this up. That's the order. Uh, number nine is for those in public office. So they come right after the atheists. Hey, church, enter wisdom. This is how we do it. Uh, let us pray for those in public office that our God and Lord may direct their minds and hearts according to his will for true peace and freedom of all. Good. And then finally, the 10th and last intercession is for those in tribulation. And that's a lot of different tribulations. Uh, let us pray, dearly beloved, that God our Almighty Father, that he may cleanse the world of all errors, all those heresies that keep people from seeing the truth, all errors, things like believing that life is not sacred from conception to natural death, all kinds of errors uh, about happiness comes from putting down other people and errors, banish disease. There we go. Coronavirus. Keep that one in mind. Drive out hunger. So many people, hungry, poor. Unlock prisons. That sounds like Gospel of Matthew. I was poor. I was hungry. I was in prison. Did you visit me? Loosen fetters, granting to traveler safety, pilgrims return, health to the sick, and salvation to the dying. It's a big prayer. Almighty ever-living God, comfort of mourners, strength of all who toil, may the prayers of those who cry out in any tribulation come before you, that all may rejoice, because in their hour of need, your mercy was at hand. All right, that 
is the intercessions. It takes a while. Ten of them. And each one has three parts. Okay? So I invite you, just lose yourself in that praying. When, when, you, when the deacon says, let us kneel, don't, don't be thinking like, oh gosh, how many times are we going to do this? We have to kneel again? Really? No. Listen to what you're supposed to pray for when the deacon sings it. Kneel and pray for it. I mean, really pray for it. Knowing, Jesus, you died so that you would hear our prayers. Like, in light of that, hear these prayers. And then stand up and let the priest collect it all together. And it's a beautiful time. All of that is part one. Okay? Uh, whew. Like, yeah, part one. Well, there are three parts. The, the second part is the adoration of the Holy Cross. This is the one that uh, probably a lot of people associate with the Good Friday Liturgy. I remember this is one that really stuck out for me as a young person. As a kid, I was going to church on Good Friday, and, you know, part of the adoration of the cross is a chance to personally come forward and venerate the cross, adore the cross. And, you know, often you would kiss the feet of Jesus on the crucifix that was presented. I, I remember that very much growing up as a, a memory of Good Friday. Um, the, the cross that is used, uh, a little liturgical note here, th this cross can be a, a crucifix with, with Christ on it. I mentioned, you know, kissing the feet of Jesus, or it can be a plain wooden cross. Uh, and that is because uh, a plain wooden cross isn't, isn't allowed for mass. It has to be a crucifix. But on this day, the whole ceremony and, and practice of venerating the cross goes back to what the church was doing in Jerusalem, at least by the 300s, probably a long time before that. But here's where this comes from. So in the 4th century, anyway, uh, a Roman noblewoman by the name of Egeria, that's her name, we, she made a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, and we, we have her diary. She, she wrote down what she saw in Jerusalem on, on the days when she went. And here's what they did on Jerusalem on Good Friday. Uh, since the time of, of St. Helen, the mother of Constantine, uh, she found the, the actual cross on which Jesus was crucified. The, the actual pieces of wood on which Jesus hung, uh, it, we call those relics the true cross. Well, she discovered the true cross in Jerusalem. Uh, and so every year on Good Friday, they would bring out a piece of that true cross on which Jesus was crucified in a, a beautiful silver reliquary, a box, literally. It would be placed on a table where the, the celebrant would sit behind it and the faithful would be invited to come up in procession and and kiss the wood of the cross. Now, it's, it's actually in her diary. It's a true story. They had to station deacons on either side because what people unfortunately did, they would profane the relic, as it was said. They, they were bowing down and they were taking a bite out of the, the true cross so they could take home a piece of it as a relic. So they stationed deacons, it says, to prevent that from happening. So that people would just kiss the cross and not uh, not take a bite out of it. So, um, yeah. Anyway, people would come forward and venerate the actual piece of wood on which Jesus died. So what we do today, two thousand years later, is 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 kind of carrying on that. So there 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 are two forms that this could take. Um, both forms involve a three part. Uh, initial showing of the cross. The, the first option is that the, the priest goes to the, the sacristy and gets a cross that is veiled, okay? Uh, the priest, uh, standing for the altar, it, it's covered with a violet veil. The priest goes to the middle of the sanctuary and will unveil the cross in, in three different parts. Um, you know, veiling... Uh, a little bit of the, the upper part, the right part, the left part. And he sings a chant that in English, it starts, Behold the wood, H.A. Lingium in uh, the Latin. This is a famous chant for the unveiling. Behold the wood of the cross on which hung the salvation of the world. Okay, again, with liturgy, past events are able to be made present. So... Is this the wood on which Jesus hung? Well, not unless it's a relic of the true cross. You are allowed to use a relic of the true cross for veneration. And of course, in, in the beginning, 
uh, in Jerusalem, and to this day, obviously, they still do have the actual wood. But even if it's not the actual wood, even if it's just a piece of, of wood that we use in our parish, because most parishes do not have a piece of the true cross, um, well, it represents that to us in some way more than just a symbol. It, it allows us to have present for us the, the true mystery of Jesus, that for us it does become his cross today. So behold, the wood of the cross on which hung the salvation of the world. And our response is, come, let us adore. Venite adoremus. Where do we hear that, Christmas? Venite adoremus. Yep, same thing, except notice in a very different context. We're not beholding the newborn baby now. We're beholding the instrument of his torture and death. And so what do we do? We adore. Normally, adoration is reserved for God alone. We use that word adore only for God. But on Good Friday, as we'll see, the cross becomes very potent, powerful. And so we actually give a worship to the cross that normally is allowed for God alone. It becomes so associated, connected with Jesus that we'll see at the end of the liturgy, we even genuflect to the cross. Remember I said, don't genuflect when you come into the church. The tabernacle is empty. We only genuflect to God. That's the Eucharist. The Eucharist isn't there, so don't genuflect. Well, well, we'll see at the end of the Holy Friday, the Good Friday liturgy, you actually do genuflect to something not God. You genuflect to the cross. And even here, we say, come, let us adore. Happens three times. Uh, the, the priest will chant it each time a little bit higher normally. And the people respond, come, let us adore. And after each one, the people kneel down. So come, let us adore. Everyone kneels. The priest holds the cross up. Uh, then we stand, we sing again. And uh, each time we kneel, we pray. So I invite you, again, don't be thinking like, oh, we're going to kneel again. Yeah, you're going to kneel again. Kneel down and, and pray. We're, we're contemplating the, the cross, Jesus' death on it the salvation of the world. It's an amazing thing to think about. That The second possible option for that, I said there are two forms. One is to do the veiling. The third is to process in from the back of the church with an unveiled cross and stop three times. Um, that's also a, an option. If you, if you watch from the, the uh, Vatican, um, you can see which one they, they, they do. They typically do the procession one. Okay, uh, after that, um, beginning with the priest, the people get to come up and this individually venerate the cross. Now, ordinarily, um, kissing the cross is a, a normal kind of act of adoration or veneration. Uh, during COVID, uh, you know, we're not doing that. Uh, so one option, and this is the option if there are a lot of people present, this is what they do at the Vatican um, because there are way too many people for everyone to come up and venerate one cross. The, the celebrant will hold up the cross and everyone will venerate from where they're at. Um, we are, last last year, of course, there were no people present. Uh, this year, there'll be people. So we're going to try to have a, uh, a socially distant procession forward where people can come forward and not touch or, or kiss the cross, but to genuflect or, or bow if people are unable to genuflect. Um, during that, and I should say that the priest does it first, and actually the priest is directed, if possible, to remove his shoes even. Uh, to to do that, takes off his his chasuble, even removes his shoes, and uh, venerates the cross. While that's being done, there are a couple different musical options um, in the missal itself. Uh, one of those which we we don't hear a lot the, the reproaches. This is sung in the voice of of God speaking to us. My people, what have I done to you, or how have I grieved you? Answer me. And then it goes through all the ways in history that God has done great things for us and we were not so good in return. I led you out of the land of Egypt and you've prepared a cross for your Savior. Man, I mean, that's, that's pretty heavy hitting. Like, here's what I did for you. God is saying, I did all this for you. I led you out of slavery in Egypt. And what did you do? You led your Savior to a cross. My people, what have I done to you? How have I offended you? Answer me. Man, it's, 
you know, sometimes we sing other songs like the in, in English we do the spiritual were you there when the crucified beautiful. I, I don't know. It hardly seems like it would be Good Friday in America without were you there. Fine. But if you haven't ever done it, look at it might be printed in your missile or or look up the reproaches. R-E-P-R-O-A-C-H-E-S. Google that. Good Friday, the reproaches. Just pray over that. Uh because I'd led you through the desert for 40 years and fed you with manna and brought you into a land of plenty, you have prepared a cross for your Savior. Wow. What more should I have done for you and have not done? Indeed, I planted you as my most beautiful chosen vine, and you have turned very bitter for me. For in my thirst you gave me vinegar to drink, and with a lance you pierced your Savior's side. Wow. I scourged Egypt for your sake with its firstborn sons, and you scourged me and handed me over. My people, what have I done to you? How have I grieved you? Answer me. I led you out from Egypt as Pharaoh lay sunk in the Red Sea, and you handed me over to the chief priests. I opened the sea before you, and you opened my side with a lance. I went before you a pillar of cloud, and you led me to Pilate's palace. I fed you with manna in the desert, and on me you rained blows and lashes. I gave you saving water from the rock to drink, and for drink you gave me gall and vinegar. I put into your hand a royal scepter, and you put on my head a crown of thorns. I exalted you with great power. And you hung me on the scaffold of the cross. My people, what have I done to you? Or how have I grieved you? Answer me. Whew. The reproaches. And then one of the most famous hymns uh, for Good Friday, Crux Fidelis, O Faithful Cross. Faithful cross the saints rely on. Noble tree beyond compare. Never was there such a scion, never leaf or flower so rare. Sweet the timber, sweet the iron, sweet the burden that they bear. What a beautiful hymn. Again, um, there's a a beautiful setting of of this that they always did at the the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. And of course, it's all a cappella, as I said, by this point. Um, Just... uh, a beautiful part of the the veneration of the cross. So there are many verses. Hear a tiny baby crying, founder of the seas and strands. See his virgin mother tying cloth around his feet and hands. Find him in a manger lying, tightly wrapped in swaddling bands. Now he came, the long expected, not in glory, not to reign, only born to be rejected choosing hunger, toil, and pain, till the scaffold was erected and the paschal lamb was slain. First, even to the original tying up of the little baby Jesus by his mother with the swaddling bands, now he's tied and arrested and killed on the cross. Faithful cross the saints rely on, noble tree beyond compare. Never was there such a scion, never leaf or flower so rare. Sweet the timber, sweet the iron, sweet the burden that they bear. Beautiful hymn. I invite you to look at that. So that's the the second part, the veneration of the cross. When it's done, the the cross is put in a place with candles. This could be the the cross, if if you're familiar with, you know, an altar that would have like six candlesticks across the front with the the altar cross on the altar, um, could be that very cross that was veiled on on, uh, Passion Sunday a week and a half ago. Uh, it could get unveiled. So that, that's the unveiling part, that if the cross and the altar was veiled, you might just take that cross and unveil it, and then it gets put back on its place on the altar with the, the altar, again, being empty and stripped today. So then we come to the third part, and this is the one that, that's new, uh, Holy Communion. We all get to receive Holy Communion today. Uh, so the, the Eucharist is not in the tabernacle at the beginning of the service, so remember, bow, don't genuflect. It's brought out from the, the sacristy or the other place where it's been reserved. So it was consecrated yesterday. You will not have the priest consecrate bread and wine today. This is 
pre-sanctified, as the old term was, brought out, brought to the altar, and we simply, we, we pray the Our Father. So notice there's no Eucharistic prayer, there's no consecration. We pray the Our Father, everyone kneels, and the priest says, Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the Supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy. I'm running on some dignus. And then we're able to receive communion. Isn't it nice, again, that on this day in which we, we do celebrate that Jesus is taken away. He dies on this day. He is taken away. But he's with us. Okay. Yeah, the tabernacle is empty. But does that mean like Jesus isn't here? No, Jesus is here. That The Eucharist is just in the sacristy. It's been reserved. And here we get to receive him. What a, a beautiful thing on this day. The Eucharist is always the, the full Christ, the Christ that died on Good Friday uh, through the, the mystery of the Eucharist. You don't have to wonder, gosh, what would it have been like to be there at the cross on Good Friday? You are there. That's, that's part of the beauty of the liturgy, the mystery. That's the mystery part of it, the part we can't fully name or speak of because the event of 2,000 years ago where Jesus died on the cross, historical event that happened in time, the liturgy takes place outside of time. It's it's a mystery that is made present through the power of the Holy Spirit. The event of 2,000 years ago is present. And how beautiful then that in the Eucharist, this is the real Jesus, the real Jesus who died on Good Friday. He's here with us and we get to receive him into our very body as we do at every Mass. Today we get to do it when there's even not Mass. We, we get to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. And so um, you just go back to your, your pew and... You, you kneel down and pray and think that that same Jesus who died on the cross for us rose from the dead and is now present in the Eucharist and present in you. you. You get to receive him into your very body. The body of Christ that hung on the cross is now present in your very body in an unbloody manner, sacramentally in the Eucharist. What an amazing thing that on this day in which we don't celebrate Mass, Maybe it's an even specialer time, for more special time for us to remember what an amazing gift it is that we have the Eucharist, that we can have Jesus present outside of time, present with us right now in time, and present in our very bodies. Let's never take the Mass and the Eucharist for granted. Maybe that's a good lesson of Good Friday and Holy Saturday when we don't have the Mass. Well, let's be thankful that we have it because it was bought at a price. Jesus is bloody, terrible, torturous death on Good Friday is what gives us the chance today to be free of our sins, to receive him, and to have the life of grace in our souls. Let's never take that for granted. And today when we don't have mass, maybe it's a good day to remember how special and important it is that we are able to have mass. So after the distribution and the reception of Holy Communion, then, uh, there is, again, no dismissal. There's no, the Mass is ended because we haven't had Mass. There's not even a, a blessing, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Because, again, the liturgy continues. Okay, so after Communion, there's simply a prayer over the people. May abundant blessing, O Lord, we pray, descend upon your people who have honored the death of your Son in the hope of their resurrection. Mm -hmm. May pardon come, comfort be given, holy faith increase, and everlasting redemption be made secure through Christ our Lord. Amen. And then after genuflecting to the cross, all depart in silence. So again, this is the one time where now at the end of the liturgy, you get to genuflect, okay? If, if you really want to look smart today, don't genuflect when you come in, bow to the altar because the Eucharist isn't there. Super smart, genuflect to the cross when you leave. Because now it, it's the one time where we genuflect to something that is not God because it has become so potently connected that it is the locus, that the presence of God for us. Not the same way as the Eucharist, but a presence nonetheless. Genuflect to the cross, depart in silence. Everyone, silence. No Gavin and talking on and raising a ruckus. Just stay. You can just stay. You can pray. Come up. Spend some time at the foot of the cross if you want. And then depart in silence. After that, the altar is stripped again. Uh, but the cross remains with, with two or four candlesticks. 
And ideally, that would continue through Holy Saturday. People could come, venerate the cross, pray in silence tomorrow. In, in most churches, at some point on Holy Saturday morning, uh, the decorators come. So maybe the cross will not be available for veneration in your church, uh, but maybe a little bit tomorrow morning. Nonetheless, uh, you've got that that chance uh, today anyway to, to venerate the cross. Um, and that's the end of the, the liturgy, just silence. But as I said, the liturgy continues even though we leave the church. Don't go home and party. It's still Good Friday. I might recall that Jesus is now buried in the tomb. What was it like for those who experienced the first Good Friday without maybe the full assurance of Easter? Think of that tonight. Be grateful for the faithful cross that we today rely on and are grateful for. Jesus' death was because of us, because of our sins. He paid the price for our sin that we might live forever with God. And although this was a terrible, terrible day in history, a day of incredible torture, suffering, blood, gore, all of it, and death, real death, it ended in burial with a stone rolled across a tomb that seemingly meant the end of Jesus' mission, the end of his church. We know the full story. We know what happens. And so we could call this day good. Good Friday. I look forward to joining you again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. as we conclude our meditations on the Sacred Triduum as we will look at a Holy Saturday preview tomorrow. Until tomorrow morning, prayers. Pray. Pray today and enter into this day especially into the Holy Liturgy of the celebration of the Passion of the Lord. Blessings.